Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. I don't think we'll ever return to pre-COVID world. So it's about flexibility. It's about employee engagement. It's about enabling your knowledge workers to work wherever they are. So there's more and more continued use cases for cloud. In a post-pandemic work world, it's highly innovative SaaS companies that have the opportunity to change the game. The ability to really help enterprises truly transform their business model, leveraging technology, it's the true North Star. We're just scratching the surface and we move the earliest. So the opportunity is massive. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. In an industry that's seen massive growth recently, many SaaS companies are excelling both strategically and financially. But Avpoint has been on the scene far longer, and their strategic vision of the cloud's potential has helped secure extraordinary long-term growth. Back in March, we chatted with Avpoint's chief brand officer about building brands, so I'm excited to learn more today with Avpoint's CEO, Dr. TJ Zhang. TJ co-founded Avpoint in 2001, and he's served as CEO since 2005. He holds a master's degree in electrical and computer engineering from Cornell University and a PhD in data mining from NYU. And in 2010, TJ was the recipient of Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year. Avpoint is the backbone of the hybrid workforce and data management. Their full suite of SaaS solutions enable organizations worldwide to collaborate with confidence in the cloud. More than 9 million cloud users rely on Avpoint solutions for securing data sustaining connections, and ensuring business continuity. Avpoint trades under the symbol AVPT, and they are a five-time Global Microsoft Partner of the Year. TJ and I spoke about the early lean years of the business, Avpoint's careful choices along the way, and the evolutionary factors that have made Avpoint one of the biggest players in the SaaS industry. Let's enter the arena with TJ. You know, everyone's entrepreneurship story is very, very different. When I started back in 2001 with my co-founder, Kai, I had just left Lehman Brothers after 9-11. My office is 40th, was 40th floor of World Trade Center 1 when 9-11 happened. That was a life-changing event for everyone that experienced it, went through that. And for me, I decided to uh, leave Wall Street and uh, go back to grad school. And Kai, my great friend whom I met at my first job at Lucent Bell Labs, Lucent Technologies, he's 12 years my senior. So he thought that, you know, in his 30s, it's his last hurrah. So he wanted to try something. <laughs> so that's the genesis of it. It wasn't some 
you know, awesome idea to awesome instant overnight success. It's actually the most common entrepreneur story, actually, to start from nothing and figure your way out as you progress. For the first three years, we actually made no revenue. Zero, and uh, so I, I give a lot of talks at business schools, and I say, "Hey, entrepreneurship is not uh, for the faint of hearted, because we have always been in B two B software space. So we started in uh, Microsoft Exchange, but even in two thousand one, two thousand two days, Exchange was very crowded a field, and then Microsoft released this new product called Lake Tahoe Project, which is their precursor uh, of their enterprise content management platform, which is called SharePoint. So. It happened to use same data format as Exchange, so we support it because for the fact that no one else is doing anything with it. And of course, you know, as most things with uh, business and entrepreneurship, you have to work hard. Everyone works hard, but you also have to get lucky. And we really got lucky when Microsoft released their second version of this product called SharePoint. We were the only one in the world that actually provided a migration path for enterprise customers. And, you know, Microsoft started referring their customer to us because we were able to develop this very, very quickly, show them that it worked. And that's triggered this real journey as a company, start generating revenue. And we just built on top of that and very quickly. And then we made it also very, very a successful pivot, a difficult pivot into SaaS in 2011 days. And that's what made us today the largest SaaS data management uh, and security and governance provider in Microsoft Cloud. You talk about luck. In my my mind, luck is uh, hard work and timing. You may have started with modest aspirations, but today you're really running a business at scale for kind of a layman who's not a technologist. What are the products and the markets that you serve? Yeah, the simplest way to understand what we do is we help businesses to handle the whole end-to-end lifecycle management business data, whether that's email, file shares, enterprise chats in private channel like Teams. And also when you want to collaborate in real time across office documents, internally, externally, we truly provide that end-to-end lifecycle management of such data sets. So what does that mean? That means migrating, integrating into cloud uh, with any and all legacy system that you may or may not have, even SaaS to SaaS systems like Slack to Teams. And also once in cloud, we actually protect your data. We do real-time ransomware attack detection. So you can actually restore your data state. Also, we actually manage the life cycle of such data. So ultimately archiving, retirement, but at the same time, support compliance and GDPR data privacy requirements. And another layer on top of that, we talk about governance and control. So it's about enabling enterprise to control who has access to what, where. In fact, 60% of our customers are governments as well as regulated industry, like banks, financial services, healthcare, manufacturing, where they do have very unique IP. So those are the things that we protect and help customers to manage. You talked about luck and and the pandemic was not lucky for anyone, but what you do every day must have served an incredibly valuable purpose for your clients. What are your clients and potential clients saying about their needs kind of going forward in the next few years? Yeah, so that's a great question, Tom. We started the cloud journey and transition in 2011 days. I remember I was at Washington, D.C. at the Microsoft World Partner Conference, where I was on stage to say to all the other Microsoft partners, say, hey, let's 
figure out how do we actually enter a new paradigm, a new world order, where you think about your business at a a dollar per user per month subscription model. So just only SaaS company in the world at the time were Salesforce and NetSuite. Those were the only two public SaaS companies. So that was really in the early days. And we were lucky enough to recognize that opportunity. We jumped in early. So when COVID happened, because we were already uh, helping to serve customers, both on-prem, hybrid, and cloud. And when COVID happened, everyone started to work from home. And all of a sudden, you realize VPN does not scale, right? Virtual private network. I had customers in Japan, uh, one of the major national airlines. The employees had to get up at 5 a.m. just to queue up to access corporate content via VPN. That doesn't scale. Whereas if you're already in the cloud, that enables you to access in real time. So that was... You know, the first order of business when COVID hit was everyone had to work. They need to figure out a way to work without being in office. So that was leveraging cloud. Second order of businesses, all of a sudden everyone's using cloud. Then are people accessing data and sharing data the right way? That became an immediate concern. And that's where we came in. Because we were already there, we were able to help uh, large enterprises to pivot to cloud in a quick way. I don't think we'll ever return to pre-COVID world. So it's about flexibility. It's about employee engagement. It's about enabling your knowledge workers to work wherever they are. So thereby, there's more and more continued use cases for cloud. We also now got into SaaS management, even in title management and workload management, resource management, license management. So increasingly, the footprint to enable enterprises to better do digital transformation, better manage their workloads and data in cloud. It's our way forward. Everything you're kind of saying speaks to uh, companies being more efficient, being more protected in their IP, more secure. How do you measure that from an ROI perspective for your clients? What's kind of that value proposition that you talk to them about in dollars and cents? And how easy is it for them to migrate from legacy or other cloud platforms. We've been around for 20 years, so we understand every enterprise content management platform under the sun, whether it's legacy or cloud to cloud. So we help customers, um, whatever legacy system, whether it's nodes, open text, HP trim, documentum, FileNet, etc. We know how to handle those type of data and move them along with all the metadata and history into the cloud. So there is a lossless migration experience. Also cloud to cloud. So it's a seamless experience. However, when we do that, we also say, hey, it's a great time to do data analytics services. So like when you're moving house, right, from house A to house B, you don't move everything with you. And you don't also put everything in the exact same place as your old house because the new house has different structure. So it's time to actually clean house, get rid of out of date, redundant, trivial data to properly classify and pack your data. So that's the migration side of the uh, story. Now, when we talk about ROI. Fundamentally, obviously, we, we do the backup and service, ransomware detection, recovery. That's insurance, right? That's table stakes. You must have it because SaaS is instantly upgradable um, so that you're not patching software right over time. So it's a, the speed of innovation. It keeps up with the cloud platform providers. If you're not with a SaaS vendor, it will be very, very difficult to keep up whenever Microsoft released, for example, a new Teams private chat feature. The perfect analogy there is, you know, Tesla versus GM, right? So usually when Tesla is all microprocessor driven, so they get all the data from their drivers. If they want to update something, they just a software update. GM has to do a vehicle recall. 
So it's a completely different business model, right? So as much as people are saying, hey, there's other EV providers, but Tesla has been doing this business model for 10 years. It takes a lot of time to catch up. And this is what we see in our space. A lot of the big legacy players, they say, oh, we, they've been talking about going to cloud and going to SaaS for three, four years now. They still have not rolled out solution because it's not that simple. It's a technological change. It's a business model change. So that's ROI. That's table stake for security, for peace of mind, for insurance. But the other ROI is that because we do all these governance solutions, we do these provisioning and security, and we enable enterprise to scale their IT professionals. We're still at the nascent stage of digital transformation, literally 1% to 2%. So digital transformation is not about just putting your on-prem workload to cloud and cloud a day. It's actually about how to almost weaponize your data, right? Like how to actually get insight in the customer data, in the employee interaction data to make your business better, to make your business much more pliable, responsive, and innovate faster, speed up the cycle of innovation. That's true digital transformation. And there's so much legacy uh, industries. Look at supply chain, right? Look at the you know uh, shipping. A lot of legacy business are ripe for that type of innovation, leveraging big data, leveraging cognitive service capabilities on cloud platforms to really revolutionize their business. So in that sense, there's massive ROI uplift. So what we do is we help IT to do those work and all the infrastructure stuff, all the provisioning, security stuff, we help them handle. When you talk about digital transformation, you said it, we're only about one to 2% into it, which is absolutely unbelievable. So how do you view your total addressable market almost like in dollars? I mean, it must be absolutely massive if, if that's the case, that we're really still in the first inning of all of this. It is massive. I always say we actually, we thrive and compete within the multi-trillion dollar Microsoft ecosystem. We're at the nascent stage. The opportunity to, to build vertical solutions on top of cloud. Look at what Salesforce has done, right, with force.com to do a ecosystem of business solutions just on CRM. And now Salesforce is bigger than SAP. In the depth of 2008, 2009 financial crisis, when, when Salesforce was a, just a nascent public company, they were only trading at 1.5x their revenue, right? Who would have thought today they're bigger than SAP? The ability to do vertical solutions to really help enterprises truly transform their business model, leveraging technology, it's the true North Star. And already in M365, there's 280 million users. Today, we just have over 9 million users. We're just scratching the surface and we're, 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 we move the earliest. So the opportunity is massive. Of course, we're developing new products. We're doing acquisitions as well. Just the stuff we have today, if we get to the 50 million users in the next few years, we'll be a billion dollar recurring revenue company. So the opportunity is huge. What is the go-to-market strategy right now, and how's that evolved over the last couple of years, TJ? Yeah, Tom, this is also going back to your uh, entrepreneurship genesis question, right? I, I wish there were things I knew today, uh, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, right? So we always do the hard things first. We do the infrastructure software. Uh, we do direct sales because... We started in the enterprise content management space, which only large customers, truly large enterprise care about. And we define large enterprises are companies with over 10,000 employees, right? This is why we were global. We actually have to be 18 countries because to do large enterprise business, government, public sector business, you have to have that local presence. So we did that. We did the hard part first. And then we did the SaaS subscription, conversion, DevOps, 
evolution. So now the scaling go to market for us is channel. So if you look at all the biggest enterprise software business out there, Microsoft, Salesforce, they're 100% channel. So what does that mean? That means you enable channel partners to build their unique IP on top of your platform. You can even pivot towards a consumption-based model. And channel ultimately augment and scale out your sales organization. We have 200 plus sellers. Now with channel, we can have a thousand plus sellers, right? We now are building a robust channel, global channel program that is the single most important growth factor for us as a business to scale as a public company. At a time when lots of companies are struggling, AvPoint's numbers are impressive. They're seeing more than 30% growth in recurring revenue. Half of their AR growth comes from new customers and their AR will exceed 200 million this year. I wanted to know how they're garnering so much momentum. It's honestly not good enough just to be cash positive. From a stockholder, shareholder perspective, you need to be profitable. So we're working very hard and we signal that publicly as well to become profitable as quickly as possible. And that just means gap profitability. So that taking into account of the uh, stock-based compensation we give to our employees for employee retention. On the one hand, labor market is super tight. There's more job than people available to apply for jobs. On the other hand, the inflation is going up, interest rates going up uh, to control the inflation. Inflation is very hard to control. Even as, as hard as central bankers try, there's two very important factors that's inflationary. One is deglobalization. And then the second one is decarbonization. The only thing, Tom, that's deflationary is technology. The Moore's Law that we all know about and love, right, where we gain exponential efficiency through the shrinkage of hardware for compute, we're about to hit a wall. Our optimization through Moore's Law efficiency, it's coming to an end. We had great several decades of run. So the only deflationary force is leveraging software, leveraging cloud. So that's the space we're in. Well, I mean, we're having this conversation in September of, of 2022. And, you know, the market sentiment is super negative. But I think, you know, as much as sentiment can go negative, it can change very quickly. Despite all these macro pressures, you're, you're looking at top line revenue growth of over 30%. And I think that's absolutely incredible and eye opening in an environment like this. That's right. Recurring revenue is growing 30%. Our revenue growth is uh, 25, 26% because we do do some services. So we are actually shrinking that service component of our revenue down from today's 18%, 17 to 18%. Our stated goes to get down to 10% or less. You're obviously investing in organic growth. You've also done a few acquisitions. Maybe talk about your philosophy on acquisitions and, you know, moving forward, is, is that another way for the company to kind of add value and build value to all stakeholders? We have not acquired companies prior to this year. And so far this year, we have announced three acquisitions already, and they're more in the pipeline that we'll, announce, we'll be announcing shortly. Our strategy around acquisitions, very, very intentional. So the first two are actually around this whole education vertical that we have invested aggressively in. It's one of our fastest growing vertical solutions because at the end of the day, Tom, we have this great, what we call confidence platform, a SaaS data management 
and governance platform. And on top of that, we're now building vertical solutions. And as I mentioned earlier, that's where the true digital transformation is happening in vertical solutions to truly enable businesses to transform their way to optimize growth and innovate. So education technology is one such vertical. We now just recently rebranded to Maven Point. We have expanded with acquisition into training management. So we are the only end-to-end SaaS training, learning, digital assessment, student alumni management solution that's fully integrated with M365, Office 5 and Teams. So what does that mean? That means there's very little change management. So when you're using new tech within Teams, within Office, it reduces the barrier to change management, to, to training. And the second one we bought is a com- company in UK called Combined Knowledge. They are actually the p- global premier content and training provider for Office 365, including Power Apps, uh, including Exchange, OneDrive for Business, SharePoint, Yammer, etc. They even produce training material for Microsoft. They have thousands of training courses. What we're doing is basically offering that as a almost a Netflix for Office 365 training adoption for businesses. What that allows us to do is pivot very nicely into enterprise learning and development. Because the biggest headache today for HR, for talent management, is to train and retool your employees to cloud tech. How do they use technology to do their job more efficiently? So that's the space we're getting into. And training management, especially in today's fast-changing technology landscape, adult learning, continuous education, it's a trillion-dollar market. It's massive. So the first two acquisitions were very, very intentional, focused around this vertical business solution. And the most recent one we announced is uh, this uh, Canadian company that's also a fantastic ecosystem player. That's around, it's called Tigraph. It's around employee engagement. So the topical thing today, it's called quiet resonation. Everybody's working from home, at least if not all the time, but part of the week. What companies worry about is, are my employees disengaged? Are they isolated at home? Especially think about new employees as they're onboarding. During COVID, Tom, we had new employees joining the company without seeing their manager in person for one year. So are these people lonely? Are they really be, you know, integrated into the team. So this is a tool to help learning development officers and talent managers to say, hey, these people are very, very active and social influencers, but these other people are very siloed. Maybe we need to help them more, right? Maybe these are early warning signs that this employee is, um, you know, treading water. Right. So that's very important It's not only using tech to secure the collaboration, but also measure and enable the quality of collaboration. Yeah. And in a a labor market that's super competitive, all of those things are so important. I always think that the best companies really have the ability to allocate capital and pivot properly as a public company. You're also buying back shares, which... um, you know, in a market like this, where across the board, everyone is being penalized. It's such a smart use of capital. Maybe talk about uh, your philosophy on capital allocation. We have a great balance sheet, thanks to our shareholders and investors. And we think given our growth profile, uh, compared to our public company peers uh, in the B2B SaaS world, we're heavily, heavily uh, undervalued. 
The market is where the market is, right? So we think that um, it's creative. Uh, if we actually do some stock buyback, it would be good for the shareholders because it's uh, anti-dilution. At the same time, you know, buying it at such a low price, it, it's only good for the shareholders as well. It's, it's a very strong signal that the company is very bullish about where we're going. This is a company that's been around 20 years. We have no debt and we survive you know, two recessions and, and a self-manufactured recession called a subscription conversion, business model conversion that Splunk's going through and many other public companies. It's not an easy process. So we know how to uh, deal and rise above uh, in lean times. And I think we're about to go into that now. You know, uh, Warren Buffett famously said, when the tide recedes, you, you really see who's uh, on the beach where, with, no, with no shorts on. So I think we'll see that pretty soon. <laughs> You have seen all these setbacks and good times and bad times. That's probably why you have such a good balance sheet, why you're conservative, why you're getting to profitability, where many of your smaller, weaker competitors may be out of luck in this environment. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, paranoia survive, right? We're, we're super disciplined or super paranoid. And honestly, there's a uh, several happy uh, historical you know, artifacts that made Apple strong as well. The fact that we started in the enterprise space, in order to do that well, we have to be global. And the fact that we're global, and one of the things that also uh, I think uh, people uh, undervalue is that as a, we're, we're still not a big revenue company uh, quite yet, but yet our global revenue distribution, it's, it's very diffuse. So uh, North America is 45% of our global revenue. And then uh, Western Europe and Asia, the rest of it, so equally split. So it's rare to find our size company to don't have this kind of high single con country concentration. But overall, by being global, we're more resilient. So we actually saw this several times, right? When the recession hit, when the world recovered, some regions recover faster than other regions. And those regions are carrying the workload, right? To make sure we continue to grow. And now with uh, even COVID, we saw in Asia first. So I remember January, mid-January 2020, I was already doing global town hall meetings and say, winter's coming. We have to bundle down hatches and get ready for it. So I think having essentially intelligent fillers and real business acumen around the world allow us to move in a more agile way to truly behave in this globalization environment. And that actually makes us in turn much more resilient. When you sit down with investors, what do you think they miss about the story? What do you think they should know that makes the company so valuable? Obviously our growth profile is fantastic despite the macro volatility and uncertainty. But I think the number one thing I hear a lot from uh, investors who are not as well-versed in the enterprise software space will come and say, hey, Microsoft is massive. They will just kill you. So I always say, we don't compete against Microsoft. We compete within this $2 trillion Microsoft ecosystem. We actually benefit Microsoft tremendously by being a very, very active and productive ecosystem player. In fact, Tom, this is actually one thing a lot of people didn't realize. We are the only Microsoft-focused ISV, again, independent software vendor, that has gone public in the last two decades. There's no other because we know our ecosystem super well. So we're actually the poster child of success of a Microsoft ecosystem, right? So it's really interesting. You know, we've been doing this for 20 years. 
we didn't go public just to throw in the towel. So we go public to go another 10, 20 years more to build the next successful multi-billion dollar enterprise software business. We're really, really excited about the next phase of our evolution here. Despite being in a growth industry, Avpoint, like everyone else, is navigating a very tricky economic environment. But having a super clear understanding of their ecosystem, a global vision, the right partnerships, and a little bit of paranoia has helped them create a robust business with assured longevity. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank TJ for joining me today. He has Avpoint at the forefront of digital transformation and really looking forward to seeing where he and Avpoint end up down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.